Hi, and welcome to the Authentic Audience Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Ritma. This is a marketing podcast like you haven't heard before. It's about real connections and honest conversations. Why am I here? To remind you that you can fly. If you're brave enough to listen to that calling inside you, I'm here to serve you and show you that marketing can and should be honest, that the truth sells and authenticity wins. So how can businesses and brands build a real and authentic audience? The Authentic Audience Podcast gives you insight into growing your business and marketing strategies to gain real followers and loyal customers. Each week, I create a space of radical honesty for thought leaders and entrepreneurs who have built successful businesses to share their insights on business, marketing, relationships, life, and spirituality. Each episode is sure to remind you the power of storytelling and truth selling. Get ready to get real, get raw, get honest, and keep growing. Gay Hendricks has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind transformation for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD from Stanford in 1974, Gay served as professor of counseling psychology at the University of Colorado for 21 years. He has written more than 40 books and has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and others. His new book, The Genius Zone, will be published in June 20. 2021. Gay is one of my favorite writers, dream guests, and I look up to you for so many different reasons. So welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Krista. It's really been a pleasure uh, being with you before, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Me too. I mean, you're a big deal, so I'm going to try and be less nervous (laughs) Uh, this time. Last time, it was just like such a I mean, you and Susie, actually, I didn't know that you actually knew each other, worked together, but had been on my top five dream guest list. I have five people on that list, and I've had three of them on the podcast. So um, that's very exciting. And um, I'm just very grateful that uh, you have the time for us because we're big fans over here at the show. <laughs> oh, well, good. Thank you so much. I really uh, feel honored by that. And Susie Batiz is one of my favorite human beings. Just love her. And so I'm glad you've gotten to know her. And uh, maybe sometime you can whisper the names of the other guests uh, that you haven't gotten in my ear and I can uh, give you their phone number or something. I would love that. I can say it out loud. The other two guests are actually Stephen Pressfield and Glennon Doyle, both writers. Um, Stephen Pressfield wrote The War of Art. Can't help you. Yeah, he wrote The War (laughs) of Art. and um, I love that book, though. I did read that book a long time ago. That was a great uh, book on on writing. It's one of my top five books I recommend as well as The Big Leap, Um, just that really changed my experience in business and life. I mean, to me, life and business, it's all very personal. It's all one in the same. It's all a prayer. And you and him earlier on. I mean, I'm still early in my career, but our business is now a real business and um, we're not treading water every second of every day. And a lot of the topics, which is why I'm so excited about your new book, The Genius Zone, um, because I've literally stolen, as many people have, the zone of genius conversation. And I bring that into my own work all the time. I'm always asking myself, is this my zone of excellence or am I functioning in my zone of genius? And it's become like a pretty much daily activity for me to really, as a business owner, 
understand what is the difference between my zone of excellence and my zone of genius. So anyway, um, before we talk any further, I would love to just check in with you and hear how you are, how you've been. Um, your energy is always so wonderful. And I know it's been a really wild year. So any quick updates on what's happening in your world? Well, my world is going fabulously well. Um, Katie and I have both been vaccinated and uh, so that's going great. And um, actually, you know, ironically, we had the most amazing year this past year uh, for, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, we live in a small town in California, kind of a little uh, mountain valley, uh, Ojai, California. And so, you know, it's a little bit hard to get to. And so when we used to do trainings here live, people used to have to kind of work hard to get to, you know, so if we had 50 people here, that means 50 people had to take airplane trips and hotels and all that kind of stuff. But now over the past year, since we've put our basic trainings, our, our two biggest trainings um, out uh, on Zoom, now we have people all over the world taking them. And, you know, we have it's so rewarding to see people, you know, they're getting up in the middle of the night in Norway or South Africa or Australia or Dubai or wherever they're taking the course. And uh, so it's very heartwarming. Of course, we, you know, most of them are still from the US, but it's really great to see a whole worldwide contingent of people uh, coming into our training. So it's, it's made our trainings much bigger. And also, just from a writing perspective, uh, you as a writer will probably appreciate that uh, this past year, uh, like the big leap has doubled and sometimes tripled uh, sales, uh, just because wow. I think people have been able to uh, be home a little bit more and read a little bit more and catch up on reading that they've been recommended. And I can't count the number of uh, fan letters I've gotten over the past year from somebody who said something like, you know, people have been recommending The Big Leap for years, but I finally had time to sit down and read it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think that's one of the unexpected positive benefits of this incredible, crazy year that we've all been dealing with. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, you know, knock on wood, I'm feeling very blessed with success this year. Um, my work is mostly virtual and I didn't have to make very many changes. I already teach my courses online and I already do most of my work virtually. So we were able to help those. So many of our clients bring their work online very quickly and creating more accessibility, especially to your kinds of um, courses and programs must be so exciting and rewarding. I've been seeing that across the board, more people, you know, I think too, before it was sort of like, oh, do I want to join like a virtual workshop? Do I want to do like an online course? And then this year, that was your only option. Mm -hmm. And the ability to connect, I mean, this is very personal. We can see each other right now. I can see your room. You can see my shrine behind me. Like there's something intimate, even though we're digital about connecting on Zoom. And um, I appreciate it. And I always have. And I think more and more people are recognizing the power in digital connection. Really? Because I can, you know, a lot of our work, um, Krista is involved with um, natural body wisdom kind of things like mm -hmm. breathing and movement and things like that. And my wife, Katie, is a genius teacher, and she's taken all of our key activities and crafted them so you can learn them virtually just as easily as you could if you were sitting in the room. And in some cases, it's easier. Um, and 
that just to me is a miracle of the modern age because yeah. i can remember when i way back when i was just finishing my phd at stanford in 1974 the two professors that were there at the time uh, that were our main professors uh, were asking us you know like okay when you graduate do you want to go toward being a university professor or do you want to go toward being a private practice clinical psychologist you know 40 hours a week in the office kind of thing and I said, well, of those two things, I'm never going to spend 40 hours in an office. I'm just not set up for that. So I'm going to aim in the direction of being a university professor. What I'm really interested in is that I think we could take all these ideas and get them out and democratize them so they're available to everybody. They're not just available to somebody who goes to therapy or somebody who has the money to take a seminar or travel to you know, do whatever. And that to me really is exciting. And I remember both of the professors, you know, they were all kind of old fashioned, regular yeah. university professor kind of guys. And they both looked at me like, we don't get it. What are you really talking about? You know? And I said, well, imagine having a course on, on the stuff we're talking about here, but on cable TV, for example. And yeah. that was long before PBS yeah. started doing those kinds of things. So I and now we've been on, you know, right. we've made PBS fundraisers and things like that, Katie and I. So it's a whole different world now. But so much has changed just in the 50 years since I was in school. Yeah, it's so cool. And, and that's one of the reasons why I just adore you so much because the messaging i mean you knew a lot of these things 30 like one of my questions i actually wrote down for you was there's such a shift going on i feel right now because and you really just hit it on the head right there of the accessibility like when somebody instead of hiring a really expensive business coach for example in a lot of my courses i teach i have suggested reading where obviously the big leap is on there as well as the war of art and some of these other books that had like profound impacts and it's like you can have access to these high level business coaches and not having to travel or pay or um you know all of these breaks in the flow that happen when we're trying to grow usually financial is a big piece of that so i feel really good about that too and that's one of my bigger purposes in marketing my whole thing is honest business um that's my little shtick of the world is i talk about honest and authentic marketing and sales and being able to have access to so many new people even speaking to you before we started I'm working on a book and that is the entire purpose of that is how can I reach more people because this is so powerful. But I, one thing I wrote down was there's this huge shift happening right now. People are just discovering the big leap, like you said, for the first time, but you've been saying this for 30 years. So do you ever, <laughs> yeah. do you ever sort of have that moment where you're like, hello, I've been saying this for 30 years. Like, does that happen? <laughs> Cause it's like, come on. Well, I, first of all, I'm incredibly grateful that I get the reception I, I get. Uh, and yes, I have wondered that on a few occasions. Uh, <laughs> it's like, hello, people. <laughs> well, they used to always tell me I was 20 years ahead of my time, but see, yeah. now 20 years have gone by. So uh, it's all happening. And I'm very grateful for that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I set my attention a long time ago on trying to figure out 
the stuff that's in the big leap, you know, what is it that really limits us? What causes the upper limit problem? And so one of the ways my mind works is I can kind of look at a situation and then it's almost like I get a printout in my mind of what the relevant variables are, what's causing the various things. And so when I looked at the upper limit problem, and started working with people on it, suddenly I discovered that there was this whole range of fears that it was based on. I hadn't known that before. So as I began to work with those fears, we began to develop whole systems approach to helping people move beyond their fears. And that's how we uh, started mapping out the genius zone is that if you really if you really can make friends with your fears, if you can really open up your heart to accepting and loving your fears, your anxieties, your doubts, that's a direct path to your creativity. Mm -hmm. Because in the act of opening up and embracing your fears and your doubts and your griefs that you've had and the various angers and all the different events in your life, the more you can open up and embrace those lovingly rather than trying to shut those out of your life or or push them down, the more the universe rewards you because you are directly in touch with the creative flow of what's going on in the universe all the time. And there's a great line from a John Lennon song where he says, you know, life is what's going on while you're busily making other plans. Wow. <laughs> you know, that a lot of times, uh, and there's another great quote from, um, a James Joyce book, uh, Finnegan's Wake, where he said, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. And mm-hmm. that's in a way our problem. The Greeks identified it as alexithymia. 2,500, 3,000 years ago, they came up with a concept called alexithymia, which is really kind of the fear of being in the present, the fear of being in touch with your feelings, the resistance to being who you really are. And I think as a society, as a whole world, we have a tendency to suffer from alexithymia, because as I travel around the world, what I see is more people who need to own their natural creativity, own their natural genius. I, You know, when I go around the world, I certainly see poverty and things like that. But what really troubles me is that so many people haven't discovered their natural genius yet, their natural true creativity. And that's what I'm taking a stand for, because everybody's got that spark of genius inside. And we just need to ask ourselves the right kind of questions in order to bring that to the surface. What kind of questions should we be asking ourselves? And before you answer that, I am so in alignment with this conversation. And again, I'm just always reminded every time I listen to you talk, oh, right, that's why he's one of my favorite people ever of all time. Um, I talk about this a lot in, in my marketing because I find in the marketing world, people are wanting this like copy and cut, you know, cookie cutter approach. Um, and what I find is authenticity wins. Like the data will tell you that the more real, the more vulnerable, I call it your gifts. You call it your genius zone, that thing. It's not an ego thing. It's your soul thing. Like 
that you're so good at that when you walk into a room, you bring with you, when you end a business meeting, the thing that they're like, oh, she's so that she's so honest, she's so whatever, and how you can actually lean into those gifts and bring that into your work and use your uniqueness to make your work unique. And I talk about this all the time, but you say it so much more eloquently. So if we're sticking with that topic of finding your real creativity and that spark that we all have, what are some of the questions that you have your students um, ask themselves to start to really tap into this? Well, let me give you a 20,000, uh, your listeners, a uh, $20,000 present right here because like when uh, some corporation sends their ceo to come sit with me for a day they have to plunk down twenty thousand dollars and the first thing they get for their twenty thousand dollars you can do it at home right now and that is we invite them to go in a little room by themselves for 10 minutes and there's nothing in there there's no music playing or no pictures on the wall or anything like that and we ask them to simply meditate on a on a particular question. And the first question goes like this. Hmm. What do I most love to do? Mm -hmm. hmm, what do I most love to do? Spend 10 minutes just being with that question. Don't even worry about the answers. You might not get answers right now, but I want you to learn to live in a question like that. Because mm -hmm. it's like the great poet Rainer Maria Rilke said, you need to learn to live the questions. If mm -hmm. you ask the big questions, your life itself will become the answer to those questions. And so if you ask a question, hmm, what do I most love to do? That question opens up a tremendous amount of space in you because the human mind loves a problem to solve. The only problem is we put it on unsolvable problems. We, we, we task it with impossible things like we say, oh, why am I, why doesn't anybody like me? Well, once you task it with a problem like that, it'll come up with answers to that all day long, you know, but they're not useful answers because it's the wrong question. And so a question, a big question like, what do I most love to do is great. Another question that uh, we have people go in that little room, the wonder question room, is a question like, um, well, the second or third one is, hmm, what do I do that has the greatest positive benefit per time spent? I love hmm. that You know, it's interesting because I got a lot of these questions back in the 80s. I used to go around to corporations and I would be with these executives walking down the hall and we'd work with them in their offices. And then I started getting them um, to come here. Uh, but one of the things that I always learned was how rare it was for them to have any creative think time. Because once you're the CEO of a company, or even totally. not even the CEO, people want your attention all the time. Yeah. And so you lose touch with that very thing that gave you the spark that got you in there in the first place. And so people come out of that 10 minutes reborn sometimes you know oh, you right. have a 55 year old person who's worth a hundred million dollars comes out of there crying sobbing saying 
my God, why didn't you do tell me to do this 20 years ago? You know, because here's the thing. Uh, I love to throw in these old quotes because some of these uh, philosophers. I love it. I love the quotes. Yeah. Uh, well, go look up Blaise Pascal sometime, okay. a genius from three or 400 years ago. But one of the things he said was that all of humankind's problems come from the inability to sit in a room by ourselves for 10 minutes doing nothing. I mean, and so, so true. Isn't that amazing? Because what often happens during that 10 minutes when people are living in those big questions is they realize that they have all the answers they need down inside. They just haven't stopped to hear them. Somebody said that prayer is talking to God, meditation is listening. You know, and I think there's a lot of value to that because when you kind of meditate on something, you're not putting anything into the mix. You're kind of opening up and ah, creating some space and taking I, some breaths and opening up yourself and letting things come through. I think that's so true. And one thing, actually, my work with Yana and, and Susie has both helped me with, which I feel like you might have an effect on, that is the asking to receive. I think um, as society, but especially I have that, like, I'm never good enough complex. I have to work so hard. My dad was a really hard worker. I want to do better, do more, et cetera, et cetera receiving is actually really hard. And it's, I feel that it's, you know, I've done a lot of work around like the feminine and the masculine, and I'm very type A, I run a business, I'm very direct, I'm very masculine, in my masculine all the time. And learning COVID has taught me to be in, in the feminine. And what I mean by that is be soft, be gentle, listen, write, create, draw, all of these things that like soften me and get me out of that fight or flight mode and receiving has been a big piece of that. Like just mm -hmm. being quiet and asking, just asking. And we're yeah. just so afraid to do this. And for me, I talk about my prayer and my spiritual practice as a remembering, but when it comes to receiving, I feel like this is like something I'm learning for the first time. And a lot of people are like, I don't know how to do this. It's not a remembering. It's a new rewiring of how to be. And then I look to people like you, and this is just such a perfect transition because one of my questions for you is there's there and, and it goes back to like, you've been doing this for so long. You've been so well known for so long and your core message has stayed the same and your authenticity has shown through, through all the different platforms and all of the different transitions that have happened in the last 40 years. Your books are still being discovered for the first time, words that you wrote a very long time ago and you're writing and you just wrote a new one, which I want to talk about. But in terms of that, sort of span of writing and seeing these sort of shifts and people waking up by reading your words or taking your courses. What has that process been like for you to write again and again and again over these 40 years? Like my, my real question was that I wrote down was, has your writing process changed? Has it, um, 
since you've sort of like learned these things, I don't know about you, but I verbally process. So that's why the podcast is really great for me because um, if I'm not speaking it, it's hard for me to actually process it. So sometimes I'm processing for the first time where I find a lot of writers, right? There's speakers who write and there's writers who speak. And I find that a lot of writers are processing as they go. So what has that 40 year process of like really being in the limelight, being at the forefront at a lot of these conversations been like for you personally? Well, it's been fantastic. <laughs> it's uh, I, I have zero complaints about how my life has gone. Um, I describe myself frequently as the luckiest person in the world. Um, I can see some things I do on a regular basis that, you know, like I'm a daily meditator. I, yeah. I spend an hour a day in meditation and have for uh, almost 50 years now. I'm coming up on my 50th anniversary of daily meditation. Um, but I do want to put in a plug for openness to learning, too. One of the things mm -hmm. we use here at our institute is a 20-point uh, openness to learning scale that has 10 points above the line and 10 points below the line. You know, like some of the simple things, like if you're open to learning, you have open body language. You're not sitting there with your hands across your chest, you know, kind of scowling at whoever's right. talking. Uh, or if you're open to learning, you've you've kind of got an interest in whatever it is that's being said, or you're contributing to whatever's being said. So openness to learning gets you a long way in life. And I'll tell you, ever since I could move, I've been sort of a curious person. I probably drove, I grew up in a single parent family. My mother was a, a writer also, a newspaper writer, uh, but I drove her crazy. I can remember many of her times, will you please stop asking me why? I don't know why, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I would say, you know, like <laughs> all these, premature philosophical questions like, uh, hey, if this all-powerful God is up there, how, how come he always needs money? <laughs> Things like that, you know? I was, was always these brash kids that was uh, asking questions like that. So curiosity, I think, is yeah. a big thing. So uh, when I got grown up, I realized I didn't know two things. I didn't know how to feel good internally all the time. In other words, how, how to be happy all the time. And I didn't know how to be in a flow of good feeling in a relationship all the time. And so I sat about, set myself the task of learning those two big things. And, you know, I think each of us has areas of mastery we're being called to master and yeah. those happen to be mine. My writing process has changed a lot over the years. Um, well, for one thing, I'm a writer who speaks. Yeah. I'm not a speaker who writes. Exactly. Like uh, my good buddy, Jack Canfield, we yeah. hang out sometimes together. Now, he's a speaker who writes, you know, and uh, he's a great speaker, has people cheering all the time and uh, all that kind of thing. And, you know, probably gives, I don't know how many dozens of speeches a year. Um, I'm very parsimonious when it comes to going out there and doing speeches like I just signed up to do a keynote, a virtual keynote uh, for an Australian group in October, and I'm going to do one in May. But I would say I'm a once a month kind of where I charge money for a big speech. Um, but um, I don't like to do that as much because I never get as excited about that as I do about just having a a free form discussion of the ideas like yeah. here we're doing. Yeah. Um, 
because people have certain demands. If they're paying me 20 grand or whatever it is for a speech, they have a certain set things they want me to hit, you know, and uh, and I need to hit all the high points. It's sort of like a greatest hits uh, totally. show. And, uh, and you have a lot of them. <laughs> I, I have a greatest hits album yeah. that I can perform flawlessly and everybody cheers and everybody's happy. But I don't like to do that too often. But every morning, if you peeked in my window uh, between the hours of say 5 a.m. and 7.30 to 8, you would see me parked over here doing my writing. Right. And I wake up every morning around 4 or 4.30 and I write, um, once I get through meditating and everything, I write from 5, 5.30 to 7.30, 8 o'clock. So I have those two or three hours in the morning crystal clear, it's quiet. My my wife likes to sleep in till eight, uh, till sometimes eight or so. So uh, it's just me and the cats and uh, Greta and Allie are two British short hair cats. And so I get a lot of my work done in the early morning hours. When I first started 50 years ago, I wrote my first book at night on a borrowed typewriter uh, <laughs> in a makeshift office. And uh, I constructed a, a desk out of an old door that I found stacked on some concrete blocks. And so that was my fancy uh, outfit for writing my first book. Wow. Um, and I got it, I, I wrote it when I was still in graduate school. I hadn't even got my PhD yet. And uh, I got paid the amazing advance of $800 for it. Wow. And boy, in 1973, I thought, this is it, you know, I have yeah. achieved Olympus. And uh, so, uh, uh, but that was, uh, uh, at the time, it made a big difference in my life. Uh, so um, my, my nighttime, I used to be a night owl. Mm. And then somewhere in my mid 30s, I sort of switched over and became a morning person. And I to this day, don't know how that happened. Uh, same thing with eating food. I never used to eat food until about noon every day. Uh, but now I like to eat something in the morning. And mm -hmm. I feel much better if I eat something in the morning. And so, uh, you know, I don't know how that all worked. But the actual commitment to writing has been pretty much exactly the same. Uh, here it is, folks. I try to turn out 250 good words a day. That's my focus. That's my real world disciplined focus is to turn out. That's basically one page, but 250 good words. That's my intention every day when I sit down. And I usually will go until I get at least my 250 in. If I'm still abuzz with whatever it is, I may write, um, you know, another couple of hundred or something. But if you put down 250 good words a day, by the end of the year, you've got a 300 page book, you know, and uh, leaving some time for editing. And that's what I've basically done over the past um, 48 years is uh, publish a book a year. I mean, it's so you, the, the thing that I really respect the most about you, there's so much, but the first podcast episode that uh, came out was called Walking the Talk with Gay Hendricks. And that's what you do. I mean, you you do what you say. And I, and period. Right. And so what you practice, what you preach, and it's a commitment, it's dedication, and it's simple. And I remember that you said to me, um, you hadn't had a bad day in 40 years. Um, that was something that you said to me on the podcast. And you were telling me, I asked you, you know, I was in a very stressed out place the last time we spoke, I've done a lot of work and 
I was not having good days. And to hear you say that was like triggering. And I asked you how your day was. And you just told me what you ate. You told me you wrote, you talked to the cats, you had breakfast with Katie. You were excited to go golfing. And it was like, oh, like, it's just so simple. Like we so overcomplicate things as a society, as a species. And you have taught me that like dedication, the consistency, the meditation, the walking your talk, these simple practices, putting good food in your body, getting good sleep, like these normal, simple things. Like it doesn't take, you know, these crazy transformations outside of ourselves to have these life experiences. It's all in us. And it comes through in your writing. It comes through in your speaking. I just, I love your Instagram. It's so simple. It's like gold. Your Instagram is like gold. It's just so authentic. It's so honest. You enjoy life to the fullest and that's a choice, you know, and I just applaud that. And I'm so glad there's leaders like you sort of leading this space of transformation, relationship, all of this stuff, because it's it's so powerful and so beautiful. And I know we don't have a lot of time with you. So the last thing I want to just talk about is this new book, The Genius Zone. Um, just on the writing front, um, any advice as you're talking about this new book that you would have for somebody maybe starting to write their first book? Um, I'm feeling a lot of resistance. And does that ever happen to you? Or, you know, now you're a pro, so you can just sit down and do the thing. Do you ever feel, are you a little nervous for the book to come out? Like what's, what's the vibe with the new no, book? Um, <laughs> well, 30 years ago, Katie and I got the great gift of being on Oprah a few times and, you know, in front of 10 minutes, I always say that ended my relationship with fear because, <laughs> uh, people ask me, you know, what's it like being on Oprah? And I always say, well, go down to Starbucks and order 10 shots of espresso and go boing, 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 boing. And then about an hour later, you know, because there's a lot of energy around big shows like that. Yeah. And um, I got nervous the first couple of times I was on big shows like that. But after a while, it just, just becomes, you know, because also I have the great um, joy of being able the thing I talk about all the time is the thing I most love to talk about right, and the thing right. the, the thing I want to most communicate to the world. So it doesn't matter if I'm doing it in front of, you know, 200 people on a podcast or in front of 10 million people on a big show like that, because to me, the message, getting the message out is the message. And, and right. I'm happy to do it with the person who's sitting next to me on the airplane seat. If they ask me what I'll do, I'll be happy to tell them. Uh, because to me, I don't, I wanted to create a job I would never want to retire from. Mm -hmm. And so having the opportunity after 50 years to still be busier than I've ever been in a way, in a benign way, um, you know, as far as giving more talks and doing more interviews and things like that, it's really a great gift in a way because it's uh, it fulfills my life purpose. Mm -hmm which is, yeah, it's so amazing. So the genius zone, I mean, I'm very excited because I have a feeling what this is about and I've read as much as I can and I've got the book on pre-order. So can you give us a little sneak peek um, into what we can expect and get excited about? Yes. Well, here's one tantalizing thing to file away in the back of your mind. You're only one breath away from your genius. Mm. Every breath you take is a choice between genius or stagnation. 
genius or stagnation. And that choice escalates as you get up into your 30s and your 40s. So by the time you're, say, 50, it's banging on your door. But get the message early in your 20s, 30s, 40s, so you don't get the door beaten down and have a midlife crisis. Start dedicating time now <laughs> to your genius. So one thing the um, in the big leap is all about how to take your big leap. What are the barriers? What is the upper limit problem? How to kind of map out the zone that I'm going to call your genius. What the new book does is tell you how to live there all mm -hmm. the time, how to stabilize in your genius zone so that your genius wakes up before you do every day. And oh, that's kind of the promise of the book. I can't wait to read it. I'm just such a fan. Are you going to be doing the audio book where you read it? I read the introduction to it. I mean, I should say I'm contracted to re read the introduction to it. Uh, it's got a long, very personal introduction to it. And then it kind of jumps off into the technicalities of the how-to aspect of the book. So I'm going to do the personal part. Okay. And then they've hired an actor or something to read the rest of it. I just love your reading voice. I love um, listening you. to you on The Big Leap because I got to listen to you read it. And I just absolutely love love it. Um, thank you for being here. I mean, you're just your energy is always so exciting. And you show up in such an amazing way. And it's just such an inspiration. I'm definitely in a different place than the last time we talked. And I just want to reflect to you. I know you hear this all the time, but your words are like medicine. And um, every time I get to talk to you or watch a lecture from you or um, read your amazing words, I just, I'm in a reading phase to come back to what's going on with COVID. I don't have a lot of time on my hands, but I've made a lot of changes towards self-care this year um, after facing burnout and some mental health stuff. And uh, reading has just been like, everyone's like, what are you up to? I'm like, I'm just reading a lot. So my last question for you is what book are you reading right now? Oh, great question. Um, I'm reading a couple of books. Uh, one is I'm, um, uh, I've been watching this Hemingway biography. I'm watching it. Oh, are you? Yeah, it's very fascinating. I, have, I, actually I, we, I love Hemingway. Yeah, and I didn't know a whole lot about his life or anything. You know, uh, for one thing, I know Marielle Hemingway, his his granddaughter, quite well. And um, I didn't know until one day I was having a conversation with her um, that he was a real serious alcoholic. Yeah. And that comes through so much. And that that opened up a whole new aspect of how I had viewed him. Um, but uh, to your specific question, I uh, got on my Kindle the uh, a movable feast that mm -hmm. he wrote, the nonfiction wrote, uh, book he wrote about Paris in the 1930s and 40s. And so that's what I'm uh, reading right now. I'm also um, reading an old John Le Carre um, spy novel called The Honorable Schoolboy. Uh, it was one of his complex, murky spy stories. Uh, I think you know this, but uh, maybe your uh, audience doesn't. I write mystery novels in my yeah, spare time. Yeah, it's like one of my favorite things about you. Yeah. Uh, so I have two mystery series. One is uh, one involving a Tibetan Buddhist private detective in Los Angeles, and the other involving a Victorian era dandy named Sir Errol Hyde. 
But now my big fascination is I'm creating a new character right now. So this morning, if you'd peeked in my window at 6 a.m. and said, what are you working on, Gay? I'd say I'm working on my new Garrett Stone novel. He's a new hero of mine that I've created. And he's a very complicated guy. I'll have to come back uh, when that's published. But um, invite wait. me back after the Genius Zone comes out and I'll do some of the processes live. With cool, your, yeah, uh, I want to read it first. And then I, I definitely want to have you back. But that's so funny you're reading Hemingway. My husband is a huge Hemingway um, Hemingway, there's very few things that really impress my husband and he has read every book 10 times and to mm. really understand him is to read Hemingway. And so we have been counting down the days till this Ken Burns PBS special, um, comes out and we just watched part one last night and what an interesting character. I mean, I just, I love Hemingway and I love what he did for modern writing and, mm -hmm. um, the conversation, the dialogue. Anyway, it's great that you're reading that. I'm reading Joan Didion right now, um, her new book. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I mean. I'm um, feeling the essay style lately. Um, it's calling to me. So anyway, I can't wait to read your book. I'm so grateful to know you truly and that you say yes to coming on and chatting with me. Everyone that listens to this, I wrote on my uh, story today, I have gay on the podcast and everyone's like, Oh my God, I'm so excited. So, um, big fans, big fans. And I just so appreciate you. I can't wait to read your book, uh, out in June. We'll be reading it. We'll be having you back on and thank you. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thanks a lot for hearing the music as well as reading the words. I love that. Um, and to all my guests listening, everybody knows how obsessed I am with Gay Hendricks. So obviously, you know, this is um, very exciting. And thank you for being here on this podcast journey with me. If it wasn't for you, I couldn't do this. And until next time, keep growing. <laughs>